Hello and welcome to the second episode of Close to My Art. This podcast is designed to offer creative ideas and guidance for other creatives that are trying to navigate their way through the industry, which can be pretty difficult to navigate even at the best of times. Over the years I've crossed paths with a number of creatives at various different points in my life and various different places around the world, and they've helped to offer me inspiration and guidance along my own creative journey. Some of those conversations have been some of the most important conversations that I've ever had for both my life and my journey as a creative. For that reason, I want to share those conversations with as many people as possible. My guest today is James Atkin, the lead singer of 90s band EMF. You'll all be familiar with their number one hit, Unbelievable. With a platinum album and performances on top of the pops, James always has a bunch of stories to tell about his time in the limelight. I met James in 2010 when he became my music teacher. Always really supportive and helpful, James was a vital part of me pursuing a career in music and has offered me a lot of advice and inspiration over the years, so it only seemed right that he should come on the show to share some of his stories. Five, four, three, two, one. Cool, so um, first things first, you've obviously done a lot of exciting things in your life. Um, Can you give us a quick backstory starting from when you first decided to pursue music? Oh, right. We're going to have to go way back, Deck. Um, I guess I got interested in music when I was a young kid. Um, kind of was obsessed. I wanted to be in a band and be a pop star. Um, during secondary school, that's when we started rehearsing, like, you know, garages, sheds, barns, because we were from the countryside. Um, and then started gigging, I guess, as soon as we left school. In fact, we were doing gigs when we were at school. Um, and then that was kind of the start of it and just it's a long story <laughs> it's been 30 years deck do you want the whole story how long we got <laughs> when you first um when you first got into emf and stuff like how old were you then um when emf broke i was 20 years old um and it happened really quick i mean with, within the space of about three months we were we went from writing our first 10 songs and those 10 songs became the first album um in the first few weeks even before we had any songs we were booking gigs because we were really confident we were quite big-headed and you know sure of ourselves and yeah it happened really quick although some members of the band i'd been playing with you know since we were at school and stuff like that we were old school friends cool and like when you first came on the scene in the early 1990s you were kind of doing something that was pretty brand new really like you're mixing dance music with rock um like how important do you think it was like being unique and creating what you guys wanted to create in the music industry yeah i mean it was definitely a special time and i think that that was lucky for us there was a real crossover at that point between like rock indie music and you know particularly the late 80s 89 90 dance music was really emerging in the uk um when we started emf I used to go around the guitarist's house and we had an old piano and an old keyboard. And I was I was really insistent that I wanted to be like a Detroit techno or Chicago house and be complete dance outfit. Um, thankfully, Ian, the guitarist, was an amazing guitarist and he, he had like indie background, the same as me really. But, you know, so we, it was just a natural crossover. It's not like we thought, all oh, right, we're going to take some rock music and put dance grooves on it. It kind of, it was, it was kind of just to a melting pot of things really and it just so happened that that was kind of becoming a scene at the time with all the Manchester thing and the baggy scene and stuff like that 
Sweet. I mean, you hear of artists as well, like the, uh, obviously you, you got big very quickly. Um, as you got bigger, was it more difficult to um, make what you wanted to create? And did you find that like labels and stuff were kind of telling you what they wanted you to create? Was that a difficult thing for you guys? Well, not really. We had a lot of artistic control. I think, I think the main problem was us keeping focus on what we wanted to do ourselves. I mean, our first album was very much a pops, pop album. It's quite shamelessly pop and we weren't worried about being cool. And also we didn't have any expectations about where those songs were going to go and, you know, how big a hit like Unbelievable was going to be. So, I mean, certainly it was a lot more fun and we didn't worry about it and we just did it for the first album. The second album sounds quite different because we've been on the road, we've been touring, we've done like, you know, four or five, six week tours of America, Japan, Australia. And we were very much a tighter together band by that point. So when we got in the studio and the next time we'd been playing together, you know, and that's when bands get really good. You know, you kind of lose, you know, that the charm of the beauty of like those first days in the rehearsal room and you get good. So, but you know, we didn't really have any pressure from record labels like, like you asked, apart from when we weren't selling records, which happened <laughs> towards on the second album. So, but you know, it didn't really mean we went and thought about it too much. We just thought, why aren't you getting our music? And we kind of carried on, you know. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned um, how you were, you were touring and obviously, um, yeah, you mentioned that, that that's what made, made you become a greater band. Um, is there any other things that you would attribute to your success? Obviously it was like a really, really short period of time that it happened in, but um, like, can you pinpoint any components that, that led to that success? Um, timing was perfect. You know, people wanted something new and fresh. Um, we were really eager for it. You know, we kind of wanted it so bad. Um, we're quite arrogant and we kind of thought we were great. We used to big ourselves up loads and, you know, quite comical really. And, um, yeah, I think it was, I don't know, it did happen quick, Declan, but you, you got to remember, you know, I've been playing since I was like 12 years old and it all, it was, it, you know, everything before led to that point as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. And when, like you say, you're doing music, like from a very young age, there's obviously a lot of people are concerned about the underfunding of arts and stuff at the moment. Like how important was having those facilities available to you when you were growing up? Um, and do you think it's a problem right now? Yeah, I mean, it was a different time. Everybody, I mean, we came from a small place called the Forest of Dean and being in a band was a thing you did. It was like pre-clubs and people getting decks and dance music. So everyone just played in bands. There was hundreds of bands. You could go on a Friday or Saturday night in our small town and go to pubs and there was bands playing. So that there was a real culture of being in bands. Um, there was lots of rehearsal rooms, which is really good. I mean, we didn't... We didn't have any technology, which is a kind of a strange one. Today, you know, you can sit in your studio with an amazing laptop and make a, a record that sounds like it could be on the radio. Back then, we didn't have that. We, all we had was the rehearsal room. So I guess that kind of made us hone our craft a little bit. Um, if we did want to go dem do demos, you know, you'd go to a studio and it would cost you a fortune and you come away with, you know, three demos that were recorded on a 24-inch tape. You usually have to pay for the tape as well. So, I mean, getting stuff, doing demos wasn't accessible. 
apart from you know maybe a rubbish home demo on a on a little cassette or something um so yeah i guess you had to think about songs differently and performances differently and yeah it's, it was a very different time i mean I, I don't know if we had it hard or not, but it was certainly different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you say, obviously today we've got a lot of technology that's quite, it's relatively cheap in comparison with what you used to have to pay to have like a studio set up. Um, like it wasn't accessible to a lot of people. Um, do you think that, you know, a mixture of that and obviously Spotify has changed the nature of everything um, and how easy it is to put your music out there. Do you think it's um, a, a good thing that, anybody can create from wherever they are right now? Or do you think that the market's become oversaturated and it's leading to music becoming, well, artistry becoming like a bit more devalued? Yeah, I mean, I think music as an art form is definitely devalued. It is saturated. I mean, people can make make amazing music. And I think the problem is now is just getting it noticed. I mean, it's quite easy to make music. That sounds brilliant. Um, but there's just millions of tracks out there. And if you go onto like, you know, YouTube or Spotify, there's just so much music out there. Um, I think, I mean, it's great if you're a creative type and you want to get your music out there, but it must be really frustrating as well. If you are a creative type and you're thinking, you know, why aren't I getting those likes, those follows and those people watching my videos? It's just because everybody's doing it, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. It's super tricky. And would you say it's fair to say that um, you kind of have to be a businessman as well? as a modern artist, like a lot of it's, I would say to do with marketing. Um, and that's kind of what makes you stand out from the rest of the people that are putting music out there. Yeah. You have to work really hard. You have to be quite shrewd. Um, I don't think it's that difficult to put a record out yourself now, you know, where there was like a, a real mystery to what these record labels did. Now you can, you know, get some vinyl printed quite easily. You can set up a shop on Bandcamp. You can sell stuff. Um, promoting is a tricky one. I think it's really hard. I mean, it's, I still think digital marketing, radio and press is the key to it. I mean, and unfortunately, and you know, for a record to break, it's really hard unless you've got some budget behind it for marketing, you know, unless you're really, really lucky and you, or you know people, um, but for a record to organically grow these days is really hard. It's not like, you know, back in the 90s, you'd have a, a guy called John Peel. If he played it on your show, then another person might pick it up and stuff like that. But, you know, you know, even now there's loads of radio shows and stuff like that. So, yeah, marketing is the key, I think. And being a shrewd businessman or just, I think you've got to be creative with ideas of how you're going to market it as well. Mm -hmm. I was watching the, um, just before I called you, actually, I was watching the new Taylor Swift folklore um, documentary. I don't know if you've listened to the record yet. It's very different from her old stuff. It's quite cool. Um, it's got me thinking about like why we make music. And I think it helps um, like make to make sense of things. And um, it kind of puts order to things. Would you say that's the same for you? Is that why you create or one of the reasons? Yeah, I guess so. I haven't really thought that deeply about it, but it's... I mean, I ju it's just been such a vital part of my life for such a long time. I can't imagine not doing it. Um, and I kind of wonder about other people who don't do artistic, creative things. And I always think, what do they fill their time up with? Because it's so time consuming. Um, 
but you know maybe i should go out and do some running or cycling or find a new hobby because um, <laughs> it does take up a lot of time i'm on my wife is so sick of me being in the studio and and there's something about because i because i I kind of make dance music about hypnotic beats and hypnotic grooves and I kind of just lose myself in the music a little bit. Um, sometimes it's not that healthy, but, you know, I'd be a bit lost if I didn't have that. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I, I always think with you, like you put so much, um, you get through so, so so much work as well. Like you, you're putting albums out all the time under James Atkin, like the solo project. How... I like personally I don't find it that easy to sign off on things like I'll start on loads of things uh, like how how have you managed to get into the swing of doing that um it's got better with time I've been a lot more disciplined it's certainly taken me a long time to learn my craft and I spent many years doing that and you know I, I think after I left EMF I had about 10-15 years of not releasing anything but still making loads of music, but not really, like you say, not finishing stuff or maybe not that being that creative. But I think that was kind of important those 10, 15 years because it, it kind of taught me how to produce records. You know, I'd spend days just working on a bass drum and a kick drum and things like that. And then you've come away and go, well, what was the point? But now I've got to the point now where if I've got a song idea, I can kind of whip it together really quick and make it sound really good really quick and i think that's probably just that that the skills i've learned while mucking about you know what i mean so yeah i mean i wouldn't worry too much but you know i was i was never that prolific earlier on and i seem to be and i think it's different there's not i'm not sort of desperate for anything anymore and i don't have to prove much and you know and i kind of I probably find it hard if I was under deadlines and stress and or if I if it was my main living it might be a quite stressful thing to do but um you know it comes quite easy at the moment and I'm you know I'm not partying as much as I used to you know I used to go out on a Friday come home on a Monday now I'm <laughs> now I just sit in the studio <laughs> for the weekend do you know what I mean you yeah, get a lot you get a lot done when you're not wasted <laughs> <laughs> I always think that um, when you get to the point um when you're working on a track where you're just constantly mixing it over and over again, it's like the start of the day to the end and you're just never happy with it. I think it always helps to take a day or two off and like remember the reason why you got into music in the first place. Like you, you wanted to make music so people can hear it, not so that you can listen to it in your bedroom repeatedly, the same like four bars. You know what I mean? So I think that's helpful when you think about it like that as well. Yeah, I mean, the most exciting bit about a record it's that first half hour, hour of getting the, the idea down. And then it is quite easy to get bogged down with it. Um, I do find it hard to walk away from a track once I've started it. Cause I want it, you know, I just want it to sound finished and brilliant. Um, quite often I will go back to it and it sounds awful. Cause you kind of, you can't hear things after a while. You know, you kind of just lose where you are with a track. Um, but yeah, definitely the initial, that initial idea, the initial spark is the most important bit. Um, and also that's the bit that's going to sell the record. That's the bit that's going to make people excited. There's loads of people who can go and mix a record or, you know, do a bit of production afterwards to make it sound radio friendly or to make it sound like a polished finished record. Um, but if that initial idea is, is weak or it's not happening or it's not connected with people, the record's not going to work anyway. So yeah, just make it start in your head. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. 
And um, you, like, you produce all of your your own solo stuff, don't you? Like you, you're obviously well into your production. I can obviously see you've got a bunch of gear there. But um, like, is it important to you to have that um, creative control of your own music? Do you like being involved in the process from start to finish on a track? I really do. I mean, but it's a sort of, I haven't really got any choice either because I'm not selling loads of records. I can't afford to go into big expensive studios. Um, and I think I'd probably be a, bit, a little bit scared and wary. If I was going to the studio, it's cost me like, you know, a couple of hundred quid a day or 500 quid a day and the pressure's on. I probably wouldn't like that experience. Um, I certainly, I mean, I've got enough gear so I can make some half decent records. And by the time it gets, you know, mastered and stuff like that, it's okay. Um, I do look at other people's studios. And I'm quite envious and I'm thinking, wow, you've got like all these vintage synth Roland synthesizers and all this. But then I think, well, what it really comes down to is what you get out of it. And, you know, a lot of the music I make these days is just made in the box in the Apple Mac computer. I never really go for any thirdware software plugins. And, you know, there's some great stuff out there, but I, I think I probably wouldn't know how to use them, to be honest with you. So one of the greatest things I, I ever did, there's a, I mean, you know Daft Punk, don't you? Yeah, Daft Punk's first album, Homework, those guys, someone went around their studio in Paris or France, whatever, and their studio it had lots of old gear in it, but they used to mix on an old beatbox, like a crappy old beatbox. I'm thinking, God, if they can make records like the funk and stuff like that on a, a beat up old beatbox like that, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know what I mean? So yeah, don't, I mean, I, I do find it really hard when people blame their equipment and say, well, I haven't got a decent computer or, you know, this isn't happening for me. If I had this, then I would do this. Nah, you do, you make do with what you've got, you know? Yeah, for sure. When you hear stories like that, it does inspire you. Like I didn't, I didn't know that. I've never heard that before, but it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think, I think as well, there's a lot to be said for home recording. Um, like I think going into a studio for some artists, especially if it's the first time can be really daunting and it can like throw people off a little bit. And I think like being able to, to make music from the comfort of your own home is like a, actually a real benefit, um, as well. And some of these like audio interfaces that you can get nowadays, like you can get the, there's a, an audio one that's got like the same preamps as, as the, uh, the, the full studio desks, like they're the same quality as a, as a studio, but yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing what you can do just from your house. Yeah, now. I know. It's incredible. So I've been looking at some of those universal audio plugins and they are like old Neve SSL desks and things like that. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I would like to invest in some of that, but then I'm thinking, well, the records I'm making are sound pretty good already. So maybe I'll just leave that to the experts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? Plugins, there's so there's so much that you can get in terms of emulations that are really, really accurate now. You know, we've got the technology to get really good stuff. I mean, about the thing about the accessibility of having it, I mean, the beautiful thing, I mean, we're, we're kind of just, I mean, you've been to my studio. It's just like on the attached to the side of the house and it's so nice to just be able to walk in whenever you want. And quite often I get creative at the crack of dawn really early when the kids are still asleep. Uh, still asleep and you know I've got a couple of hours I'll come in here and just to have have it at your fingertips when you want it is is a really great thing but you know people can afford laptops now and that's what laptops do isn't it they kind of you can sit there with your headphones in just writing your music and yeah I was going to say as well like do you um, obviously every single artist goes through times where they're not feeling inspired massively and I think 
especially with lockdown at the moment, there's a lot of artists that have a lot of time on their hands to make music, but um, don't feel particularly inspired by their environment. Like, do you, um, what do you do to overcome that? Do you have like ways to do it? I don't know, because I've not had that problem. I know when we first went into lockdown, everybody was going, oh, this is it. This is my moment. I've got time on my hands now. I'm going to do it. And I just released a record and I put a little bit of effort into promoting that. But I purposely, I didn't really go near the studio. Just didn't really feel like it. I went in the garden and did loads of gardening and stuff like that. Um, it was a strange one because there was quite a few people who said, I know I'm going to be really cruel now and say, there's loads of people who said, oh, if I had the time, I'd be able to make a record and stuff. And then you, they had the time and they still didn't come up with anything. So, you know, maybe it wasn't, maybe that wasn't the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. Um, it does bring a few things to light, doesn't it? When you think, when you're thinking that way, if you're always making excuses and then finally you've got the opportunity and yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I was going to move on to your teacher now because obviously you taught me when I was in year nine um uh, 10 and 11 um oh, I remember that yeah yeah quite a while ago now was that was that the first was that the, the first year that you arrived I think you arrived when I was in year nine 2010 wow have I been a teacher for over a decade you're making me feel really old <laughs> I think so yeah I did I I right I think you're yeah yours I, I had done a little bit helping out some compositions for GCSE stuff with the year above you or something like that, or a year above that. Um, but yours was the first class, that year nine class. It was the first class I, I'd ever taught. And it was kind of my, yeah, my entry into teaching really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you, you taught me and my sisters uh, and you offered me a lot of advice when I was first starting out in music, showed me how to record and things like that. Uh, and you always like went above and beyond to help me get set up and get ready for pursuing a career. Um, how important do you think teaching and passing on your knowledge to future generations is? Well, it's a very worthy thing to do and I do get a lot out of it. I mean, sometimes, some days I come home from teaching and I'm just buzzing just to see uh, just to see what we can get out of students, young people and that. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was, it was just good to go in there with my knowledge of being able to mix and produce and write songs and then sit with someone who had a little idea and just bring that idea, you know, into existence to the point where, you know, they had a finished song and then that, that could be their GCSE piece or their A-level piece or, or even just put it on a CD. In them days it was CDs take home and listen to it you know that that was the buzz um yeah i mean i don't want to get all holy and wow it was kind of just i kind of just fell into it really i mean i wish i'd sold loads of records settling then i wouldn't have to do that i could have been in a, <laughs> in a jacuzzi in on sunset strip but no i ended up teaching you <laughs> <laughs> what a privilege no i think it's a great thing and like like I can say for me and my sisters, like that you were a great influence for us. And especially like, like I wasn't very into school and learning, you know, when you leave school, these things interest you, you know, geography and history and stuff. But when you're a kid, you, you don't give two shits about it. So like music was a bit of a saving grace for me personally. So that, yeah, it was great having you like teaching and stuff and help. Yeah, but you were really good there. I mean, it was, it was good for me to have a student who was actually into music and actually could play music and who was actually quite talented. Same as your sisters as well. They, you know, they were, 
Brilliant and quite rare. <laughs> quite rare. <No. laughs> some of the, you know, some of the students I've taught over the years, they just, it's remarkable <laughs> that they pick music. Rem- remarkable <laughs> is quite a polite word. Oh, you, you know, some of those compositions and stuff and, but I don't, I don't know, there's a thing about the music, I think they taught that they chose it as an option because they thought it'd be a bit of a DOS and it's quite a hard, you know, lots of theory and stuff and, yeah, it wasn't yeah, for it, everyone. It, it is tricky because um, it's not just about like singing along to a backing track no, all the time. No, but you, you, you were really hard work, actually, <laughs> Deck. Out of, out of all your family, because because you would sometimes when you're not that good, it's easy easier to mould people and get their work compositions and practical work out of them. But I seem to remember that you'd start stuff and you wouldn't finish it, and then we'd start something else, and then we'd have deadlines, and we'd go, "Well, what are we going to do?" And you know, you wouldn't. I guess. You know, like you were saying a minute ago, finishing stuff. I'd like to hope you got to the point now where you do actually finish. For sure. And I would track. say that that is something that's come in like the last year. I mean, like every now and again, I will, um, you know, I'll have a week where I just blast through everything. But on the whole, I find it really difficult to finish things. And it's only from taking a step back, um, like moving to York, I took some time just for myself. And then coming back to it, I kind of thought like, these tracks are already finished like they just need mastering and then yeah they, they, they yeah. can be sent off um i guess it's all right to make music for fun as well though if that's if that's if that's what drives you and that's your kick and you're just doing it for fun that's great yeah, as for well sure. but i mean me me and my old songwriter friend ian from emf we've been writing an emf album for 25 years now and all it does is get put on, it was originally put on DATs, and then it was CDs, now it's on memory sticks, so it just sits on the shelf and nothing ever happens. And we, we must have wrote about 60 songs. No way. But I think the problem with that is because we didn't know what to do with it, we didn't really have a functioning band, we didn't have a record label, and it was like, you know, one day we'll get these tracks. I mean, in all honor, in fairness, we've, we've put a celebration 30 year box set together and there's a there is a rarities vinyl on there with some of these demos but um yeah it's it's a tricky one very difficult but yeah i've just got one final question for you um it's a bit of a broad one but what do you think that it takes for somebody um that's just starting out in the industry to be successful today okay make sure you're driven make sure you hone your craft you get really good. Do not just write a bunch of tunes and think, that's it. These are amazing. The, only, the way you're going to get really good is keep writing. Learn how to write songs. Learn who your audience is, who to connect with. Um, I'd love to say go out and do loads of gigs, but that's kind of quite tricky at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, stay focused and just, you know, keep just keep at it. If you want it, it will come to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Sweet. Well, thank you very much for coming on and um, chatting to us. Um, obviously, you have um, a brand new album coming out soon. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and where people can find it? Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Uh The album's called Songs of Resistance. It's my fifth solo album. Uh, it is available digital download and there is some very rare exclusive orange vinyls um, that you can grab hold of as well. And it's from jamesatkinmusic.com. Um, but yeah, have a listen. Or you can, you know, there's some stuff up on um, 
Where would it be? Bandcamp. That's where. JamesAtkinMusic.com. Bandcamp. You can have a, a listen to it there and stuff. Sweet. Nice one. Well, thank you so much for coming on and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Close to My Art. The next episode will be released on the last day of March. Um, if you want to find us on Instagram, we're at Close to My Art Podcast and the same on Facebook. Um, but until then, see you next time.